Morning Valley Bible Church. Good to see you this morning, and it is good to have some fresh air to breathe, isn't it not? It is. Uh, some of you have some new communion cups in your hands. How many of you got the, won the golden ticket today? Yes. So you win. That's all I can say about that. But uh, uh, it, this one's a little bit different. It opens in the bottom for the bread, top for the, top for the cup. Don't open it <laughs> bottom for the cup. Uh, and the uh, the bottom bread approximates bread a little bit better than the wafer that some of you have, but just wanted to call your attention to that this morning. It's good to see you. We are continuing in the uh, book of John, and before we look at his word and we pray together, I would like us to seek his face and continue to pray as we just did in the song which we have sung. So join with me, please. Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. For we are people who are in need of your word. We starve without it. We thirst without it. We die in the vine without you. We need to be connected to you. We need to abide in you because you are the source of all life. You are the God who spoke and said, let there be light. And you began all things and you will end all things just as you have providentially chosen. We bow to you as our Lord. We sing to you as our Savior. We obey you as our Sovereign. We pray that we would do so with great joy. And we do ask that your word would be abiding in our hearts this morning and would spring up to salvation for those perhaps who do not know you today. We turn to you now and give you thanks in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. This is our text for today. I invite you to turn there. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. And I invite you to stand as well. The Apostle Paul said, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. And we ask you to stand, if you can. Uh, Some old knees may be difficult this morning. But uh, we ask you to stand if you're able to. And please give attention to his word. John chapter 8, beginning verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. God's people said, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We pick up with the words of Jesus continuing. And so we want to just give a little bit of background about that. Remember the context from last week was the woman who was caught in adultery. And we looked uh, at, the, at some textual criticism, and Chris brought that to us. It's a difficult uh, task in art to determine uh, some passages of Scripture that just are not well attested by documentary evidence. And it is thought by most scholars that the that the, the story of the woman caught in adultery probably uh, did not belong here. If it belonged in the scriptures anywhere, we not, we're not quite sure. It is easy to say, to see rather, that it is out of place. Because our text this morning begins, Then Jesus again spoke to them. And remember how the story ended with uh, the, Jesus and the woman. All of the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders And scribes had walked away, and he was left alone with the woman. And so it doesn't fit to say, then he spoke to them again. So what we are really looking at is Jesus is continuing what he said back in chapter 7. 
in chapter 7 uh, on the day of the great feast on the last day, he stood up and he cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Those were the last things that Jesus said. Then there is this interlude, if you will, between the people and the religious leaders where people are saying, well, I think he's this, I think he's that, and some of the religious leaders are confused, and there's division, and there's no consensus. The whole point of that section um, from 50, uh, 40 through 52 is to demonstrate that people didn't have an idea. They didn't have a clue. Even the leaders were divided as to who Jesus was. So it is a bit of a, a parenthesis, but then when verse 12 says, then Jesus spoke again, he's picking up where he left off in verse 39, where he said, verse 38 rather, where he said, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Remember the Feast of Tabernacles, seven-day feast, probably one day, an eighth day on the end, which they called the last day. And every day of the feast, there was the water uh, ceremony. We've talked about that numerous times. The priest would go to the pool of Siloam, and with a pitcher, he would draw out water. They would walk up on the altar and pour it out while the people were singing and chanting the Hallel Psalms and, and from Isaiah about uh, uh, the water of life. And it was a very joyful time. But there was also another ceremony. And the other ceremony was the candle lighting ceremony or the lamp lighting ceremony. And there were in, uh, we, we know what the, the context here is because in verse 20 it says this, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. It's interesting. John gives us this bit of setting at the end of this this particular section. He does that sometimes. And when he gives it, after reading it, you go, oh, I need to go back and read this again to get uh, the context of what he's talking about. So he was in the temple near the treasury, and the treasury was in the court of women. The court of women was the, the place where most people were go, would go. It was where the most popular place was and most populated when people came to the temple. It was called the court of women because women were allowed there, but they were not allowed to go into, as priests, of course, into the holy place. So I want to show you a digital rendering of what this may have looked like. You see down in the lower left-hand corner, the treasury was made up of these shofar-looking horns, and there were 13 of these. And this was the place where people would bring their offerings. And they were clearly marked, each one of them, like this is the general fund, this is the building fund, this is the agave fund. Basically, that was the idea. And people would come and, they would, and, and the coin would roll around. No, it's like, it's like uh, I love those things. Anyway, so this was the treasury. But you see the steps going up to the altar. And so the, the, the doors would go into the altar. But you see back in the upper right, hand in the in the background this tall can candelabra there were four of these large torches or candelabras that were in the court of women 86 feet tall and at the beginning of the feast of tabernacles some nimble and young probably um, priest would put a ladder up there and go and pour oil into all of these candelabras and they would light these you can imagine they, they extended above the walls of the temple. And so throughout Jerusalem, day and night, you could see these torches burning, this bright light in, in the evening, this inviting uh, 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 spectacle for people to come. And it said that many of the people had their own torches and they would dance and they would sing late into the night. It was a candle lighting, lamp lighting festival to demonstrate the light of God the light that, that led them through the wilderness, that torch that shined brightly for them, that gave them their way. So these lights would illumine everything, and this was one of the most joyous moments in the, in the life of Israel because the, the, tabern or the Feast of Tabernacles was the most popular, and um, it was also a time where 
um, they would just uh, sing and dance and, and sing many of the, the psalms regarding light and quote many, many texts regarding the, the light in the, in the Old Testament. For instance, um, there are so many uh, verses that have to do with light and so, so many biblical allusions to light in the scriptures. I, I cannot do that, this justice this morning to say this is exactly what Jesus was saying or what this man at the time but we do know, um, for instance, one of the Psalms, the, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In the book of Isaiah, he will be a light to the nations. Also, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Isaiah 61, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his, his glory will appear upon you. These are the kind of texts that they were singing, lighting these torches. Some believe they were lit every day except for the last day. And so this may, they may not have been lit this day. So the appropriateness of Jesus' words. But that is the context by which Jesus says these words. I am the light of life. Wow. What an impact that must have had. For him to say once again to these people, I am the light of the world. And so what we want to look at, first of all, is that Jesus is the pervasive light, the all-pervasive light. He is ubiquitous. He is everywhere. He is seen everywhere. He is the source of all life and light, but he is the all-pervasive light. This is a remarkable statement by Jesus. Light and darkness, like I said, are widespread themes throughout the scriptures. It's impossible to show all of them. But he uses that divine formula once again. I am, ego eimi, a divine formula calling attention to his deity where he says, I am the light of the world. This is the second I am statement. The first one was, I am the bread of life. This is the second. I am the light of the world. These are the seven statements. 635, I am the bread of life. 812, I am the light of the world. 107, I am the door. 1011, I am the good shepherd. 1125, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, 146, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In 151, I am the true vine. So Jesus makes these statements, I am, with a predicate, meaning this is something about him. He is the bread of life. He is the light of life. He is life itself. He is light itself. He is the all-pervasive light. Now, what we know, why this is so important and why this is such a dramatic statement is we know this. God is light. God is light. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Paul would say later in 1 Timothy, he dwells in unapproachable light. He is the source of all light. God himself is light. We also know that Jesus is the true light. In the prologue, in fact, those who are reading this in John's audience, they would immediately be reminded of the prologue in chapter 1 where, Jesus, where John said this about Jesus, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He said John the Baptist was not the light, but he testifies to the, to the true light, and this is the true light. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the true light. So God is light. Jesus is the true light. That means Jesus is the light, equal to deity. He is God. The light. It doesn't say he is a light, uh, the light par excellence. There is no other light above him. There is no other light beside him. He is the source of all light. He is the light with a capital L and, and, and that uh, uh, the light. He is the light par excellence. The, the Jews would have thought of as the Messiah as a light, the light that is coming. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The entire cosmos, not just the Jews, not just Israel, but all people. The cosmos being um, 
the, the ordered world in which we live where man does his thing and uh, people live, not the physical world, but the, the realm of where people live. And he is, the, he is the Lord, he is the light of the entire world for all mankind. He is a light that will extend to all mankind. It is, you, he is ubiquitous. He is ineffable. Ineffable, that's our, the title of our, our message this morning. Follow the ineffable light, which means he's indescribable. He's ever-present. We can't even begin to describe the light that Jesus is because he is God. He dwells in unapproachable light. I am the light of the world. Lesson for us immediately is that rightly believing who Jesus is is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. We must believe who Jesus is rightly. If we get it wrong, if we're off, if we believe he's a created being, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, how you see these... uh, these surveys that are out today where evangelicals are being quizzed, you know, what do you believe about Jesus? You know, like 30% of them say, well, he, he's just a good man. He's a prophet. He was, he was created by the Father. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. If you believe that, that's heresy. We must believe what he says about himself. We must take him at his word. Who he is is not a matter of our opinion. It's a matter of what he says about himself. We just have a choice. Do you believe it or do you not? Will you accept it or will you not? He says that he is the light of the world. He claims over and over again, and we're going to see this controversy building and building and building. And at the end of this chapter, he's going to really drop the mic on who he is but he's continually saying that he is deity. And that is essential to believe in for Christian salvation. We must believe that. So one must decide we cannot get it wrong. If we get it wrong, our eternal destiny is off. And Jesus claims quite clearly who he is. Either he is telling us the truth or he is not. And he is. So he is that ineffable, ubiquitous, all-encompassing light of the universe. And the second thing we see is that Jesus' followers possess that light. We who belong to him, we possess the light of life. Second part of it, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Those who are following him have possessed the light of life. It is, uh, it is a, a promise. It just is. That's what we have as believers. He, he says this incredible statement that I am the light of life. And um, there is a response that he's calling for. There is a response that is necessary. And the response is to follow him. To believe in him and to follow him. It, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Light is, is a guide. It, uh, your word is a light into my path. The, the uh, pillar of fire, was a, it, it directed the nation of Israel. Light is there for a purpose. It guides us. It directs us. It shows us the way. When it's dark, we turn on the light and we see the path forward. And Jesus is that light. It, it illumines. So what does that mean to follow him? Following Jesus means living as a believing disciple. When he's talking about following, he's talking about being a believing disciple. Not just following, but by believing. Uh, Disciples are those who truly believe in him and truly follow him. He's out front and we follow, we go where he's going. It's pretty simple when you think about it. And sometimes we have to put it in simple terms. He is going a certain direction. We are his, uh, his redeemed, and where he leads us, we will follow. We are to follow the direction that he is taking us. Believing in him is living in a manner that is, is consistent with that belief. Our lives should be directional toward where Jesus is going. We are oriented that way because he is leading us somewhere. The interesting thing is when we look back at what uh, Jesus has said about himself, remember when he said, 
I am the bread of life, and he who eats this bread will have eternal life. And we saw there that eating is believing. It was a metaphor. Eating is believing. Eating the bread, partaking of the bread, who is Jesus, is, uh, is believing. We also saw in, in just Jesus' previous words during the great uh, feast and tabernacles, he said, if anyone is thirsty, he yells this out, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me will have, as the scriptures say, from his innermost being flow rivers of living water. If you're thirsty, come and drink. He who believes in me will have this thing. So eating is believing and drinking is believing. And in this case, following is believing. Because he's talking about the pillar of fire. The pillar of fire that appeared in the, in, in, to, to the Jews. And Yahweh was in that pillar with theophany. But we believe that as a Christophany, in other words, this, is, this was a pre-incarnate uh, explanation and presence of Jesus Christ. He was the one, because he is the mediator between God and men, he was the one that was in that fire leading the nation of Israel. And they would be there sometimes for hours, sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks or months, and the pillar would move, pack up your tent, and we got to go. Why? Because we're following him. Following is believing. The, uh, the, the, the way in which this is, this is put throughout the scriptures, when it's, whenever it says that we are to, uh, in the book of John, we, we've mentioned this before, the noun faith does not b- appear in the book of John. But he says very, very frequently, those who believe, and it is, it is, it is presented in a, in a present tense, which means... It is an ongoing belief. It's not just a once-for-all decision to believe, but those who are believers are those who are believing, continuing to believe. And this is the same sense here where he says those who are following him, not they just have decided to follow him, but they are continuing to follow him. They're in a state of following. They are followers. So eating is believing, drinking is believing, and following is believing. Here's a lesson for us. Following Jesus is the lifelong event of a cultivated lifestyle. It's not a once and for all thing. It's not a, a, a decision that you made. It's not an, a one-time event. It is a lifetime period of a cultivated lifestyle of continuing to follow him because that's who we are. That's our identity. We are followers. A choice that involves daily habits of renewal and awareness and, and repentance and obedience and a lifestyle of worship and service. That's what it means to follow him. It is a cultivated lifestyle and it takes some attention. It takes attention. It takes effort to follow Jesus. So I want you to ask this question of yourself as the, the, second, uh, the second lesson here. How am I doing? How am I doing, not me, you. <laughs> how am I doing, ask of yourself, how am I doing at following Jesus Christ? How are you doing right now? Is he out front in your life? How is he leading you? Are you aware uh, that, he's follow, that he's leading you? Are you following the direction that he's going in this world? I can guarantee you the direction he will take us when we follow is not the direction of this world. I can guarantee you that. Those who are in darkness do not understand the language of light. And we do. And so we are to, to be different and we are to... We, we, we need to know that he wants to lead us. He's demanding. But not in a harsh way, but in a loving way. Because he knows as a loving Savior, he knows what we need. He knows where we need to go. He knows the struggles that we have. He knows what is ahead. And he demands a lot of us to, to give it all, lay it all down to follow him for a purpose that is good. 
where we will be most richly blessed and our lives will be full of satisfaction and abundance because we are following him where he is leading us. Are you following him conscious by faith of his leading in your spending decisions, in your dating decisions, in your job, in your work, in the the sins in which you struggle, in your parenting, in every area of life? Are you directional toward Jesus and aware of that the fact that this you we are to walk in the Spirit deliberately, purposely? consciously living out this spiritual life. It's something that we all have to decide and we all have to be aware of. Or we're sometimes on cruise control. I am. You are too, I know. It's easy to to go through the, the motions and to think because I'm doing the right things. I'm following him when I'm really not. I'm just following something becoming legalistic, but this is an understanding that he is really in our lives. He lives in us by his Holy Spirit. This is a a real supernatural life in which we live. It is a spiritual life, and every day we must be cognizant of the fact that he is working in every way to lead us in that direction. So following him, following Jesus, means living as a believing disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Next, following Jesus means we will never be in the darkness. Never. I am the the light of the world. He who follows me will not be in darkness. This is the, the strongest negative that can be expressed. You will not be in darkness Ever, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a believing disciple, if you are a Christian in whom Christ dwells, you will never be in darkness. There, it's either one or the other. Either you're in light or you're in darkness. There are no shades of gray with God. One, either you're alive or you're dead. One or the other. John, 1 John 2.11 says, But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And he's he's talking about those who claim to be Christians, but they're living in hate. They're in darkness still. They're not in light. Stumbling along in the darkness. Jesus will talk about this later in John. He has some more verses in which he talks about uh, being uh, in the light. And one of those is you're able to see where you're going. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11 says this. Pay attention to this. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, not yourself. You are light in him. Walk as children of light. Walk that way. Live that way. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Your identity is that of light. Your identity is not of darkness. It used to be, but you were transformed or you were were taken from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We were all in darkness but we are now light in the Lord. That is our identity. So therefore, we are to live out our identity. We are not to live out our old identity, which happens sometimes. But you see the, the, the differences between light and darkness. It's not this physical light. It's a moral, spiritual light. Light versus darkness is good versus evil. It is righteousness versus sin. It is truth versus falsity. It is life versus death. Are you in the light? Or are you in the darkness? Which column are you in? The column in which you live and dwell is dependent upon what you believe and who you believe. That you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are light. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who hears my word and believes, there is that, that continuing word, who continues to believe him who sent me, has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. You're no longer in death. You're no longer in darkness. You are in the light. You are in eternal life. And that is the incredible uh, truth that God says about each and every one of us. Does that mean we never sin? No. But it means that when we do sin, we are not acting according to our identity. We're acting like the world. We're acting like we're dead. We're acting like we're lost. We're acting like we're unrighteous. We're acting like who we used to be. These things ought not to be. We sin by choice. And we sin sometimes by neglect because we're not paying attention to that spiritual life and that directional way in which Jesus is leading us and and living in the light and and focusing on him. Waking up in the morning, my first thought is, is to be him where you're taking me today. And when we're in neglect, we just seem to fade away. The writer of Hebrews said, having received the word of God, he said, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what has been written, lest we drift away. If we don't give daily, yearly, hourly attention to what God says to us, we just have a tendency to simply drift So the lesson is pretty simple for us. The only way to avoid avoid darkness is to follow Christ. We will do dark things, but that's not our identity. We will sometimes say dark things and think dark things, and we will live as if we were in the darkness, but you're not. The important thing is to quickly confess that to God, recognizing who you are in him, that you are the light accepting his wonderful forgiveness and cleansing at that moment and moving on and going the direction that he's leading. But the only way to avoid that is by following him all the time. Otherwise, we're just going to drift. Second of all, second lesson with that is don't let your eyes become accustomed to the dark. We live in a dark world the slippery slope is real. The, fog, the frog really does uh, uh, boil in the kettle. The, the more we expose ourselves to the darkness of the world, the more our eyes become adjusted. I remember when I was in, in, in high school on a, on a bright September day. School had just started uh, that week, and, and there was an assembly at our high school. We had this huge auditorium where there were no windows And uh, typically, my friends and I were late. We were out doing things we weren't supposed to be doing. But anyway, we come in late from this bright fall day, the sunshine, and walk in, and they close the doors behind us, and I could not see a thing. Ever had that happen to you? My friend was walking before me, and I kind of followed him down, and he went into an aisle, and and I followed him down, and then I sat on someone's lap. (laughs) So I moved over, of course, but after a little while, my eyes became accustomed to the dark. It happens to us, Christian, doesn't it? When, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know that uh, this movie is not that good, or yeah, no one's no, no one's really watching, and you know, God understands, and I can presume upon His grace. There's so there's so much darkness in this world, and it is easy for us to become accustomed to the dark. Don't let that happen. The only way for that to happen is to always be cultivating that light of life, that life of light, and the direction that Jesus is taking you. So don't let it happen. The next thing we see, still in in verse 12, is that following Jesus means we radiate the light of life eternal. We radiate this light He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You definitely will not walk in darkness, but what you definitely will have is the light of life. It is the light of life eternal, and that is ours. 
we emit this life. We are to radiate this light. We are to shine this light out. That is our responsibility. Jesus said in Matthew, let your light shine. He is the true light. He is the the source of that light. But we are just reflecting the light of who Jesus is. And we will will shine that light in the future. He, He went on in Matthew to say, then the righteous looking forward to the end time, the righteous will shine forth as the sun. Us will shine as the sun. That means his light is going to be greater than the sun. It's hard for us to even imagine what this means. But that is our destiny. Our destiny is to shine in that day greater than the sun. Therefore, we are to live this out now. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. In other words, this treasure that we have is the light of Christ, the light of the face of Christ, the light of the gospel, and it is not ours, it is His. It's not our power, but it's His power shining through us. That is what you have, believer. That's what we have. And our responsibility is to emanate and to radiate and to shine that light in the world in which we live. And so the lesson, predictably, is this. We are the means by which Christ is seen in this dark world. Is this world dark? Make the most of the days, the time, because the days are evil. Are the days evil? Oh, man, you bet. We are in evil days. They are eviler than most, I believe. Some are. You can sense it. You can know it. If we can, if we can, Jesus said you can understand the weather, but you can't understand the times. We should understand the signs of the times. These are evil days in many, many ways. And our responsibility is to shine the light of Christ because it is the only means by which the world will see Christ. Dark, dark days. That means we have to be precise in who Jesus is. We need to be precise about the gospel. We need to be precise about uh, how we live our lives so that people will know and understand and see Christ in us and not that we're just religious people who happen to live better than others. It's not us. It's him. Make the most of the time because the days are evil. So I... In the light of the world, Jesus said, He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I spent most of the time on that because that's really the point of what Jesus is saying here. I'm going to take a a few moments to talk about the response. And we'll not spend a lot of time there because it's really kind of going over some old ground the arguments that the, the Pharisees are making toward him are the same ones that were made in chapter 5. The things that he says to them are some of the same things that he has said to them already during the Feast of Tabernacles and back in chapter 5. But we want to see this. Jesus' enemies reject the light for darkness in verses 13 through 19. He has enemies. We were enemies. We sing that song, Once Your Enemy... Now, seated at the table, Jesus, thank you. Those who are outside of the covenant of faith are at enmity with God and are enemies of him. Uh, I know we don't like to talk about general unbelievers in that sense, but that's what the scriptures describe. Jesus' enemies reject the light of of this darkness uh, for darkness. And in this case, these people are real enemies. They are really into it, and they want to defeat Jesus. And so, really, what Jesus said is kind of illustrated in, in the response of, the, of, the, the, uh, of the, the Pharisees here. They say this in verse 13. 
So the Pharisee said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You don't say anything about what he said. You don't say anything about the light. They're trying to trip him up. Jesus' enemies reject the light for the darkness. They reject Jesus based on technicalities. And that's what they were doing here. They were rejecting him based upon technicalities. And going back to what he said back in chapter 5, you said, well, my testimony is not true if I, if I just testify myself. And so they're calling him back to, to this. They're avoiding the statement that he just made about being the light of the world. It is one of the most profound things that he has said to them so far. And they don't care. They want to trip him up on, on technicalities because you can't testify about yourself. What they're, they're not saying, by the way, that it is factually incorrect, his testimony. What they're saying is it can't be verified by the rules. Does that sound familiar today? With fact checkers everywhere, right? With Twitter and Facebook and Google and even the local news, this has to be verified and Snopes and everybody goes on. And, the, and they, they look at technicalities and say, nope, that's not true. They're not really interested in whether it is truly factual. They want to trip things up and, and dismiss them on technicalities. And that's exactly what they are doing with Jesus here. They want to... Reject him based upon the technicalities of the law. You have to have a couple of witnesses to verify what you're saying. The real issue, sin. When he says, I am the light of the world, and those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, they know what he's talking about. Light and darkness, life and death, sin and righteousness. They absolutely know what he's talking about. But wait a minute, let's talk about who do you think you are? Though they really know. It happens all the time today. One of the, one of the books that uh, is the required reading for the contemporary worldviews is a book called uh, A Brief History of Western Thought by Luke Ferry. He's a he is a French writer, but he's not a Christian, and, uh, but a good philosopher. But in the, in the beginning of the book, you'd almost think that he's a Christian, but this is what he says. He says, why not submit to the requirements of salvation to God? Why not do that? For two crucial reasons. First and foremost, because the promise of, religious, uh, the, of religions that we are immortal and will encounter our loved ones after our own biological demise is too good to be true. Now, there's some good thinking for you, right? Verified facts. Second, he says, similarly hard to believe, is the image of God who acts as a father to his children. How can one reconcile this with the appalling massacres and misfortunes which overwhelm humanity? Because you're to blame, Luke, and I'm to blame, and we're all to blame. It's man's fault. God sent his son to deal with that once and for all, to be the light of the cosmos of the entire world. So people reject Jesus based upon technicalities. Also, they reject him because they, they judge Jesus to be false. Verse 15 says, "You judge." this is Jesus talking to them, you judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is, not tr is true for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. He said this over and over again. The Father sent me. I and the Father are one. If you see the Father, you see me. The Father, I existed with you, that him. That is my, my origin and my destiny is to go back to him. But he says, you judge according to the flesh. That means the flesh is weak and temporary and imperfect and unpredictable you judge only by what you see. Earlier he had said to the same group, you judge by appearances just by what you see. You need to judge according to righteousness. The interesting thing here is that people pass judgment on Jesus. Think about it. They do. Everybody's favorite verse is, judge not lest you be judged. But then they pass judgment on Jesus and say, yeah, you're a liar. 
or I don't believe you, or you're only partly true, or you're just a good man, or I don't believe everything you said about yourself and all the, the various, the schlock that is out there. No, they pass judgment on him and say, you are not true. I will not, you're not worthy of worship and not worthy of being believed. And they judge him as false. And in the end, they are spiritually blind to the light. He goes on to say, even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself and the father who sent me testifies about me. He basically says, you want me to have a testimony according to the law, one or two testimonies. But let me tell you this. I testify about myself because I am the light. Look up for a minute. Everybody look up. You see lights? How do you know those are lights? Maybe maybe do we need to turn on the lights so you can see the lights? They testify to themselves. They just are. They exist. You see them. And that is what we have seen throughout. Jesus has said, those who know my words will believe them. Those who see that I am the light, they see it because their eyes are open. It is obvious that he is the light who has come into the world. All you have to do is open your eyes because the light testifies to itself. And then he goes on in verse 19. It says, so they were saying to him, where is your father? I think they're slamming him at this point. They know that he's Jesus of Nazareth, born to Mary, his father Joseph. But yeah, not really. They know that. They know they probably called him the B word or thought the B word that he had no real call to call anybody his father, which shows again, once in a while, uh, again, they don't have a clue. They don't see that God incarnate is right in front of them. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4 says this, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Christ, the image of God, standing right in front of the Pharisees, and they say, who is your father? We don't know who you are. Jesus said, you know me, you'll know my father, and here I am. I am the light of life. So the whole time, they're in darkness, rejecting the light. So the last thing, of course, in verse 20, is this. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. It says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. We've seen this over and over and over again. God is sovereign. God is, God is working out his providential plan um, he spoke in the treasury and no one sees him because God's timing had not yet come. Jesus eludes this public seizure once again, but God will one day make it evident who his son is before all people because he controls the events of his program to bring light to the gospel of his son. So a couple of lessons in conclusion. The only way to know the Father is to know the Son. Later, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so if you are here and you don't know Jesus, maybe you've passed judgment upon him. Maybe you've just been in the darkness, but it's more light to you this morning. It's through Jesus. Continuing to believe in him. Yes, making a decision. Throwing yourself at his mercy. Accepting the gift of eternal life. Believing that he is the Son of God, the very God of God, that he loves you. He's given his life for you. And that is the only way to know the Father. But the most important thing you must remember this morning and take with you is this. Christian, you must follow Jesus as the only one who sheds light on how you are to live in this dark world.
and gives you the power to do so. It's your only hope for living in this dark world to go the directional way that Jesus gives to us to consciously, obviously, consistently live that spiritual life out by faith. Follow him. You know, this week, last couple of weeks, we've had this darkness about us. It, it has been rather uh, a metaphor, I think, for the dark days in which we are in this this smoke that's been about us. It was choking. It was oppressive. But if you were to get into an airplane like some of you may have and you got above the smoke deck, guess what? The sun was still the sun. The sun was always there. And he is for you. And those, those, the light that came through when you saw the sun in the middle of the day, it was just this orange circle. The light that reached you, was it polluted? Was it molested by the, by the particles in the air? No. And so we are to live our lives in a dark world, and the light that we emit through Christ is not affected by the darkness. It shines through in some way. It is not affected. It is not polluted. It is His light. So that is the, the light that we are to live by following him. When we come to uh, communion, the words of Paul are these. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, my body, the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. So we are, to walk, we are to eat this and drink this in a worthy manner because drinking is believing. Eating is believing. Following is believing. Father, as we sing and as we think about what we hold in our hands, we ask that you would impress upon our hearts the absolute need to follow you. We're lost We are rudderless and directionless without you. In Jesus' name, amen.